Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. The baptism in the Holy Ghost and fire. If you're here and you need a refreshing, you're growing, you've grown weary, you might not have the same zest you used to have when you first started serving the Lord, I tell you, this broadcast is for you, it is going to incite revival, it's going to reinvigorate you, it's going to positively affect you, not just for now, but for eternity, because um, the baptism in the Holy Ghost is, you know, I've heard it said oftentimes, that Jesus was God's greatest gift to the to the world but god's greatest gift to the church is the holy ghost and fire because through the holy spirit jesus said you'll receive power after that the holy ghost has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in all the world so the power to become an effective witness comes through the baptism in the holy ghost so thanks for joining me i see princess jimmy eric god bless you um jay jill from my church in Montreal, love you. We have on Melissa on YouTube, Isha, God bless you. It's been a while, I know, I missed you. Ileana, Joaquin, Joaquin Garcia, I have a hard time saying that. Forgive me if I butchered it. Curtis, God bless you all. Share the broadcast. Susan, let's get this word out. It's going to be fire today. I mean, I already, I feel it so stirred in my spirit. I've had this on my heart to get into this topic uh, for a little while, and we're finally getting into it. So let's start. Um, I'm going to start in just with prayer. Father, I pray for everyone watching here online on this day. I pray, Father, let the rain of your spirit hit every single person wherever they might be today. In Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that you did not leave us helpless, but you gave us your spirit. You said, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until we're clothed with power. Thank you, Father, that through the baptism in the Holy Ghost, we get clothed with your power, not with another power, not with some foreign power, but with your power, power to live right, power to talk right, power to break every yoke of captivity in every place that we might find ourselves. And we give you praise, glory, and honor. I pray, open up the hearts of those watching to receive, if they've received the baptism, I pray, to receive a double portion today and those that have never received the baptism in the Holy Ghost and never spoken another tongue and never had that power that subsequent experience after salvation I pray that today would be the day where they begin to sing just like that old song sings I got just what I wanted from the Lord in Jesus name amen I want to get started in the book of uh, Luke Book of Luke, chapter 24, and I'm going to take you through the words of Jesus, so not my words, Jesus' words, speaking about the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. That's one thing that I, I can't get over when a minister, a supposed seasoned minister, when they get up and speak on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or they speak about the Holy Spirit, they refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. It is so wonderful. It, the Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Bible says, when He, the Holy Spirit, shall come into the world, He shall declare unto thee 
all things to come. Not when it comes into the world. The Holy Spirit is a he. It's a he is a person. The Bible lists him as the third person in the divine trinity. And you can see all throughout the Bible in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 you can see the triune God at work even in creation the Bible says in the beginning God the Father created the heavens and the earth then it moves on in verse 2 in verse 2 that uh, the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep so God the Father is in verse 1 verse 2 we have the Spirit of God hovering over the surface of the deep and then in verse 3 God said let there be light the Word of God going forth which if we read in John chapter 1 and verses 1 through 5 it says in the beginning was the Word in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. He was in the beginning with God. And that Word, John 1, 14, that Word dwelt, um, became flesh and dwelt among us, speaking of the Son. So you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you read the book of 1 John, I believe it's in chapter 5, it says these three bear witness in the heavens, the Father, the Spirit, and the Word. So there's the Father, the Spirit, and the Word. The three, the triune God. The Trinity of Heaven. That uh, needs no explanation. God, God should be. You know, if you can comprehend everything with your finite mind, then perhaps God is not really God. There's some things that you're not to try and understand. There's certain things that you're not, you're not supposed to dive into. See, that's the pride of man. Man wants to understand everything. Man wants to lean on his own understanding. But the scripture explicitly says that we are to what? Trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not on our own understandings I don't care if I don't understand everything in the Bible I, I'm not called to understand why God does things in a certain way I'm not called to understand why God spat on the ground and made clay and why he spat in people's eyes when he wanted to open up their eyes and why he Elisha laid on a boy who was dead and after laying on him the boy sneezing came back to life I don't need to understand I love the mystery of God because I know my part is to act in faith my part and your part is to believe God I'm not to understand how a widow a woman who's never had intimacy with a man a virgin can conceive a child it's not my job to understand it's my job to obey and to teach to preach to proclaim and then step back and see god do the wonders and that's what's going to happen today that's that's the number one blockade as to why people don't get baptized in the holy spirit is because they're trying to understand why do i have to speak in tongues why do i why why do, why is it that it comes that way why is it that when i get filled with the holy spirit all this it, you know have to understand that you don't have to well, it seems like whenever i've seen someone get filled with the holy spirit they seem to do some pretty crazy things and i've seen them run around the church look so disorderly it's not up to you you know that's the one thing i i really can't get along with people that are against against the move of the spirit in churches because they say it's disorderly to have someone blurt out in tongues in a service it's disorderly to have somebody start running around the church sanctuary in circles 
just screaming and praising God. It's, it's disorderly to have people fall out under the power of God. It's disorderly to have people shake on the ground as, and laugh uncontrollably as the, as the baptism of the Holy Ghost comes on them. It's disorderly to see those things. Well, let me tell you, God, God is the one who said, I'm the God of order. And in Acts chapter 2, with if my memory recalls properly, and it does, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost fell upon the church, the Bible doesn't say they sat down and took a nap. The Bible says when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, there was people who began to speak out in tongues. And then if you continue on, it says when the whole of Jerusalem heard the noise, when they heard the sound, there was a, a sound of a mighty rushing wind. A mighty rushing wind that came and took hold of that meeting. When the Holy Ghost falls, what man considers as disorderly, the Holy Ghost considers perfect order. And I don't give a rip about how man views it. Paul said, if I look crazy, then it's because of it's if I look crazy, it's because of God. If I look like I'm in order, I'm just keeping tame because of you. Because Paul had a fire in his spirit. He said, I speak in tongues more than you all. The, the Bible says that he extraordinary miracles started to happen where he began to take handkerchiefs and aprons off his body and gave it to those that were sick and demon possessed you were in a meeting with paul it wasn't orderly you had people getting out of wheelchairs the bible says at Lystra there was a man lame and crippled at his from his mother's womb and when paul saw they had faith to be healed he yelled out stand up straight on his feet and he stood up and he began to leap and run i tell you that's an orderly meeting a disorderly meeting is when there's no manifestations of the power of God. A disorderly meeting is when there's nobody getting saved. You want to know a meeting that's out of order is when nobody's getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. A meeting that's out of order is when nothing's getting done. I don't want those meetings. I don't want what a man thinks is orderly. I want what God sees as orderly and there's nothing else, nothing that you can really get that looks normal and tamed from the confine of God's word. Everything that happened in this book looked disorderly. And to the flesh, it disrupts. But to God, it well pleases him. Let me read this. Luke 24 and verse, let's start with verse 44. Then Jesus spoke to them. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Thanks for joining me today. If you can share the broadcast and help me out, you'd be a great help to me. Which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And Jesus opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary. For the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. You see, that's another thing. And when Jesus began to tell the disciples that the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men and they're going to mock him and whip him and scourge him and bruise him and beat him and on the third, and he'll be crucified and on the third day he'll rise again. When he started to say that, 
You know who thought it was disorderly? Peter stood up. Far be it that I should ever happen to you. But what was disorderly in the eyes of man, Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Sometimes when people have this ill, when you have an ill feeling in your heart, when you see a manifestation of God's power, I'm not saying there isn't excesses, because there are excesses. But when you see a genuine move of the Holy Ghost in a service, and there's something that rises up, where you start to feel like a mocking spirit come on you, or something where you just can't, it's not palatable, oftentimes it's because just like jesus told peter when it's not palatable when what god is working on the earth is not palatable oftentimes is because uh jesus told peter you're not setting your mind on the things of god but on the things of men and he said get thee behind me satan it was actually a satanic spirit trying to hinder jesus from following the order of why he was sent to the earth which was to die on the cross but jesus recognized it so when you feel that come on you see someone you know fall to the ground and you're like i'm not sure just if he gets up and he loves god more then praise the lord that's the holy ghost john wesley was conducting a revival once and a a, a woman this was this was the first time it happened to him and then after that it happened oftentimes the first time it happened where he was preaching and a woman fell to the ground and it looked like she was in a coma state for like several hours, did not move. They had uh, physicians come in, check her pulse, she was normal. They had a, even a hypnotist come in and they thought she was hypnotized. She, they thought she had like, you know, John Wesley was doing something where he was hypnotizing the people. Came in, couldn't detect anything. Finally, John Wesley said, listen, because he was just as freaked out as everyone else. He'd never seen that happen. He said, when that woman gets up, We'll know if it's God uh, or if it's the devil based on her first words that come out of her mouth. If she gets up and starts praising God, then bless God, it'll, we know that that's the work of the Spirit. But if she gets up and, and like backslides and wants nothing to do with God, then we'll know it's an evil spirit because the Bible says that there's no fellowship between light and darkness. These two are in constant opposition to one another. So they waited and she finally got up. When she did, she began to lift up her hands and praise God and sing praise to God and a mighty revival hit. And from that moment onward, that began to happen so much so that when he came to Boston, Massachusetts, back in the day when there was like 30,000 people in the whole surrounding region of Boston, there was 40,000 people that came out to hear him preach, and there would be people, because he was in the Boston Commons, there was like over 30,000 people that came out to hear him preach, and there'd be people that would climb the trees to get a better, just like Zacchaeus, to get a better view of John Wesley preaching. And they would actually send ushers out to warn the people, get down from the trees, because once he starts preaching, there's no telling what's going to happen. And oftentimes, people would would fall out of trees as the Holy Ghost hit them and they'd fall to the ground and then they'd have to be prayed for for healing. So to warn them and to prevent that from happening, they would get them out of the trees to prevent that from happening. Can you say amen? I mean, we need a fresh move of the Holy Ghost in this generation. Judges 2.10 and another 
generation rose up that did not know the Lord nor the works which he had done for Israel. And they began to follow false idols. They mocked and scorned the God of Israel. They wanted nothing to do with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they had only heard, they had grown up, they did catechism, they grew up in children's church, they grew up in Sunday school, but there was no manifestation of God's glory and power. That's why Ezekiel 22 is more relevant today than it's ever been. That God is seeking to and fro and he's looking for a man who will stand in the gap, who will say, I'm not content with a form of godliness that denies the power thereof. I'm looking for a man who will stand in the gap and begin to rebuild and dig the wells of Isaac, dig the wells of revival, dig the wells. I'm not content reading about the manifestation of God's power in Smith Wigglesworth's meeting. I want to see what God did through Wigglesworth. I want to see that accomplished through me. I don't want to read about Jesus saying, you'll go about preaching the kingdom and in my name you'll cast out devils, heal the sick, you'll pick up deadly serpents and it will not harm you. And then go on to just, you know, have a cute little one hour of power, 30 minutes of worship, 15 minutes of preaching, 20 minutes of announcements, and then dismiss and get pe let people go back to the same crap that they're trying to break free from week after week, and then just, you know, play dumb. Well, when God wants it to happen, it'll happen. No, Wigglesworth used to say it. If the Holy Ghost doesn't steer me, I steer him. We need a generation of people that are going to rise up and steer up that spirit of revival, who are going to take Acts chapter 2 literally, that in the last days, you know what's irritating to me? Is the church is always focusing on what the devil's doing in the last days. The church is always focusing on all the plans of George Soros and all the, the wicked organizations that are rising up right now, communism, what's Vladimir Putin going to do in Russia, uh, President Xi of China. Everyone's trying to like d dissect every wicked thing and focused on the enemy's plans and all it does is it stir up discouragement and further sorrow and it actually beats down people's spirits to wonder, oh well, I guess we'll leave it into God's hands. But I, we, I believe a new generation's rising up that are going to put their faith not in what the devil's doing, but in what God's doing. That in the midst of darkness, God's not at loss. God's not scratching his head in the heavens and saying, man, I really did not see 2020 coming. No, 2020, uh, 2020 was an, the enemy's attempt to derail the plans of God. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the church of God will never be dis dismantled and the gates of hell will never be able to prevail against it. God, God has already stated in the last days, I'm committed and I am dedicated to pouring out of my spirit on all flesh and a new generation will rise up who will prophesy like Ezekiel did to the dry bones. Ezekiel could have focused on the dryness of the bones. He could have gotten discouraged and just say, what's the use of prophesying? But instead God said, son of man, prophesy what I command you. The word of God doesn't tell you that in the midst of darkness we're to stay silent. No, Jesus said, ye are the light of this world. You are the salt of the earth. You are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. I see people, even from this broadcast, taking that brushel off your lampstand to shine in such a way that your family and your co-workers and your friends and even people that have mocked you will have to concede and say that man that woman is a woman or a man called by the name of God as you let your light shine before men in such a way they'll begin to glorify God in heaven in Jesus mighty name 
And Jesus opened up their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And Jesus said to them, Thus it was written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise again from the dead. If you're just tuning in now, please share the broadcast. This is going to help a lot of people today. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So he's saying, you know, all this was all this happened to get you saved. But this work's not going to stop there. I didn't get you saved, disciples, just so that you can glory in your own salvation and make sure you make heaven and then just, you know, let the world go to hell in a handbasket. He said that now repentance and remission of sin should be preached in Christ's name to all nations. So there's a work, there's a commissioning. Jesus said in one of his last words before he ascended on high, he said, that um, go into all the world and preach the Great Commission. Therefore, go into all the world and preach this gospel to all creation. Mark chapter 16, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. And they that believe shall be baptized, and they that disbelieve shall be condemned. So there's a commissioning. There's a, there's a, a, a command from heaven as to what we're to do. We're not just to sit on our salvation. Philippians says we are to work out our salvation through fear and trembling. The Bible says we are now ambassadors for Christ, God working in and through us for His good pleasure, God pleading through us to this world, be reconciled to Christ. There's a task on our life. If God didn't have a plan for you other than to get you saved, once you got saved, He would just take you away. You'd die soon after. You'd get raptured up into heaven. But God has a plan for you. God does not send angels angels to do the work of the gospel. God does not send angels to do the work of winning the lost. God's not going to send his son again to go and do the rest of the work and accomplish it all. No, Jesus did what he had to do. The father did what he had to do. Now the Holy Ghost is on the earth through the church to get done what needs be done. That's why it goes on to say, and you are witness of these things. And Jesus said these words, behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So Jesus gives out this massive task of world evangelization. And I can imagine the thoughts of the disciples, them saying, how are we going to get it done? You know, we had success because you were here with us. If you go, what's going to happen? And that's why John 16 explains what happens. John 16 and uh, verse, verse 1. And these things I have spoken to you that you may not be made to stumble. They will put you out of synagogues. The time is coming. So you'll get kicked out of religious circles because of your excess of revival. You know, Lester Sumrall used to say, I'd rather be around, you know, fire and then have a little strange fire than be around icicles. I'd rather be where God is working and then there's a little bit of excess that you need to you know, pat down and, 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 and work out and control, then be around where there's absolutely no evidence of God working. I'd rather be where there's something moving than when there's, not, there's nothing moving at all. I'd rather be with someone who's running too fast than someone who's sitting and taking a nap. That's why the Bible says, he, Jesus said it. When, you, when this power comes on you, they're going to put you out of synagogues. They won't be able to tame you. You want to know why? Because Jesus said, no man puts new wine into old wineskins. So when people are, 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 are addicted to religion, which it can be addictive to some people, when people are bound by religion, when people are so small-minded and uh, little-brained, what ends up happening is 
They're old wineskins. And Jesus said, you can't put the wine that I'm about to pour out on the earth into old wineskins, into old mindsets, into traditional mindsets. That's why Paul said, beware lest any man cheat you of your reward through false humility and through the traditions of men and not according to the principles of Christ. So people get cheated out. That's why it frustrates me when I hear of pastors and ministers, evangelists that say, we believe in the Holy Spirit. And we have no, we, we, we speak in tongues in our own prayer life. We, we agree with Acts chapter 2. We believe that Jesus said he'll send a helper. We believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. However, lest it rustle, rustle some feathers, we don't preach that on Sunday morning. If there was ever a time to preach it, we would, you know, if anyone ever has a curiosity arise concerning that matter, we'll take them to the office in the back and we'll explain them. And if they want prayer to receive the Holy Spirit, we'll pray on them. And they're pretty much, you know, Jesus didn't say after you receive the Holy Ghost, you'll receive power to become a public relations officer for the Holy Spirit so you can defend him. You'll be his defense attorney in case anybody gets offended by the work of the Spirit. You'll be able, the whole, you'll receive power to be able to know how to give a proper defense as to why the Holy Spirit works that day. Like you're the Holy Spirit's monitor or daycare advisor that, you know, we're, we're to keep him controlled. Sometimes he gets excited. You know, he's like bipolar. Sometimes he has really big highs and we need to just, you know, tame him and, and, and calm him down a bit. Make him to realize, you know, we, we have order in this place. That's not why Jesus said you'll receive power. We're not public relations officers for the Holy Spirit. That's why when people, when pastors say that, you know, well, we believe in the Holy Spirit. However, you know, we, we will never speak that on a Sunday morning. There are, you know, there are churches in the United States of America, and I'm sure in Canada too, that they literally have a, a, a warning as you walk into the main sanctuary, no speaking in tongues and no gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation here, please. I mean, what's the point of gathering? What is the point of gathering? There's a Bible college I can name. That was started by a mighty man of God that shook Chicago. Some of you know who I'm talking about. Just a, a mighty man of God that had such marvelous manifestations of God's power at work in him and through him. Just sinners would come in groves to repent at the altar. Manifestations of the Spirit of God, gifts of the Spirit, everything. And he started a Bible college and now it's about what? I don't know, 70, 80, 100 years since he's gone to be with the Lord. And that Bible college now, if you go and look at their constitution, it, it forbids flowing in the gifts of the Spirit. It forbids the laying on of hands. It forbids that document, the constitution, the, the, the bylaws of that school forbids ministering to other students. And not because, you know, because, you know, who knows what, if there's some ministers that are, you know, dabbling in sin. No, it's not because of that. It's because they don't believe. It took, what, 80, 100 years for them to just move so far off from the initial theology and practices of its founder. That's why a move of God has to be steered or else it's lost. And when it's lost, it's gone for good. Jesus said, I'm going away to him who sent me. And none of you asked me where you're going. But because I have said these things to you, Sarah has filled your heart. So Jesus is saying, 
This is why Jesus had to take time to explain there's going to be the Holy Spirit's going to come and stir up so the move of God I've started doesn't get lost in history. So he says, don't get discouraged that I told you I'm going to go away. Don't get discouraged in your hearts. Don't feel sad about it. Don't let sorrow fill your heart because I told you I'm going away. For I tell you the truth, John 16 and verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And he, when he has come, will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they don't believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you'll see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world has already been judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak to you and he will tell you of things to come. For he will glorify me and he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. There is a subsequent experience that happens after the work of salvation. And it is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said this baptism is not optional. This baptism is not recommended. This baptism is not just a suggestion. This baptism is not just for a few select individuals. Another bad doctrine that's hit the church is that the baptism in the Holy Spirit was only that Jesus was essentially only speaking to the apostles. That after the apostles died and went home to be with the Lord, that the, the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit has ceased, and that's a doctrine called cessationism, where the gifts of the Spirit are no longer in operation, and, and, and uh, God's using a different way. You know, he, we just needed the Holy Spirit to start the church. It was like, you know, when you jumpstart a car and you put the cables in, that's what the Holy Ghost was. But now that the car's been jumpstarted, you can just run off whatever juice the Holy Spirit put in at the initial baptism in Acts chapter 2. And now we can come up with different types of doctrines and formulate different types of ways and programs and, and, and formulas to draw people into the church. That is going to, and it has failed miserably. I was talking to my wife this morning. Isn't it interesting? I grew up in Quebec. Quebec is a heavily Catholic, uh, it, it's Catholic dominated. A lot of Catholics here. And God bless the, God bless the Catholics. There are, I'm not even trying to put up de denominational barriers because there's Catholics who are charismatic Catholics filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking tongues, and, 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 and understand and believe the Bible. They just call themselves Catholics because that's what they've always been called. But they're Bible believers. I but a lot of Catholics aren't like that. And I've been to Catholic churches. I've been to Catholic ceremonies. I've been to Catholic uh, weddings. I've been to Catholic funerals. I've been to it all. And I can tell you firsthand that there is, in most Catholic churches, I'm not, there are a few pockets of Catholic churches where there, there's, they call them the charismatic Catholics, where there's, there's actually a move of God going on. People are getting saved, healed, uh, baptized. There's a guy in Montreal. His name was Brother Andre in the early 1900s. Uh, I, I just went through the church a couple of years back. It's called St. Joseph's Oratory, and it's filled 
filled with crutches, wheelchairs, leg braces, and testimonies of people that were healed in the 50s and 60s through his ministry. So I'm not saying they're all bad, but there's a lot, a lot where there's no move of the Spirit. And the kids, I know a lot of people that grew up Catholic. They grew up doing catechism. They grew up listening to, to, to the priest. They grew up doing all the traditions and, and rituals and the Holy One and everything, infant baptism. But when tribulation or trial arose, when anything challenged their faith, they were the first to fall. And a lot of them that I know, friends of mine, do not serve the Lord, have, have nothing to do with God, want nothing to do with God. There's no fire in their eyes. They might still attend confession here and there, but there's nothing. There's no living for Christ. A lot of them are alcoholic. You know, just a mess. They just call themselves Catholics. But there are much fewer in my scanning Pentecostals, people that grew up Pentecostal, people that grew up around the fire of God, people that grew up around manifestations of God's power, people prophesying, tongues, interpretation, the gifts of the Spirit flowing, the end times being preached, Pentecostal doctrine going forth. A lot fewer of those people who maybe they backslid a little, a little bit in life, maybe they, you know, they had the rebellious years and stuff, but a lot of them came back, a lot, because that, growing up around that and seeing that, where it wasn't just some religion, it wasn't some dead man's tombs, it wasn't a, 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 a whitewashed sepulchre, sepulcher. it wasn't some uh, form of religion, but denied the power of God, there was a, 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 the spirit of God was at work in the midst. So it put a conviction of that, what I just read, conviction of sin, conviction of righteousness, and conviction of judgment. So that even though they had the years of rebellion, even though they swayed, like the prodigal son, the prodigal son grew up around the inheritance of the father. But in the years where he demanded his inheritance and went out, it came to pass when he was feeding off the pods of the pigs that he came to himself and reasoned how many of my father's servants have bread enough for food and here I am feasting off pigs food. And he returned and said, I will go back to my father and I'll beg him to take me back. And the father took him back. I think there's a lot more prodigals in Pentecostal circles than in dead religion. Why is that? Because there's something that gets embedded within you. I know growing up at a young age, even if I didn't care, I saw the old Italian, I grew up in an Italian church, Italian Pentecostal woman and men crying out in desperation, in tongues, Holy Ghost, prayer meetings, where I would sit in. You know, I'd be reading the church hymn book or whatever, just to waste time, but I was around it. I was around the end time preaching. I was around fire Pentecostal evangelists that would come up on Sunday night and talk about the return of the Lord, that when you see Israel reborn as a nation again, that, that, that Jesus said, the generation that sees that happen will not go and pass away until the rapture happens. And that put in me so that even when I was sitting, I remember it so vividly, I was sitting on a hill somewhere, smoking a joint high as high can be, and I would see lightning flashing from east to the west, and I remember what the pe preacher would say, that when you that the rapture, the coming of the Son of Man would be like a lightning bolt that flashes from east to west. And I, was, and I wasn't even young, I was older, I was 18, 19, whatever, and fear 
would grip my heart. So I would take up my cell phone and call home. And I knew my, my brother would answer, but I knew my brother wasn't right with God. So if my brother answered the phone, I'd say, pass the phone to dad. Because, because I knew that if my brother answered, it didn't do me no good. But if my dad was still on the earth, then I knew that I, the rapture hadn't happened because he, he fears God. And it puts something in me that even in my years, that's why I'm here to tell you today. There are some of you who you brought your kids to church. You surrounded them. You did everything you can do. You read the Bible to them. You weren't some phony, pre, uh, phony Christian that lived the Christian life Sunday morning. You carried a 19-pound Bible and some notes and wore a skirt down to your ankles. And you were all holy and holy as you walked into church. But the moment Sunday evening came around, you went back. You flipped the switch. And you're all of a sudden back into your worldly ways. There was no mention of God throughout your, your, your house Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And you're that type of person. But I'm talking about people who you lived holy throughout the week. You always had preaching on. You always had Holy Ghost music on. You've always, you saturated the environment of your home with the power of God. I'm here to tell you, that was not in vain. Remember what Proverbs 22, 6 says. If you'll train up a child in the way that he should go, even when he's old, he will not depart from it. That doesn't mean that they won't have, you know, they had those rebellious years. It'll always be in them and they'll always come back. They'll always, the Bible says to Timothy, Paul told Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures from childhood which make you wise for salvation. It'll always put a conviction. Like the prodigal son, I pray, I prophesy in the name of Jesus Christ. Every prodigal son or prodigal daughter represented by the viewers watching today in Jesus' name, 2020 and 2021 will be the year of the return of the prodigals to your home, to church, to the Holy Ghost and fire. And it will begin by the fire God's going to light in you today in Jesus' mighty name. If you believe that, put amen in the comment section. Hallelujah. So there's a subsequent work, you know, because there's a lot of people who say when you get saved, you have the Holy Ghost and all the Holy Ghost. Well, it's partly true, but it's partly wrong. Partly true because it's partially true because when you get saved, John chapter four, the woman at the well, Jesus said, if you'll believe on me. Those who come to me, those who believe on me and drink of me. There shall be a wellspring of water that springs up to everlasting life that comes in you. And that is what is called the work of the Spirit at salvation. A wellspring. It's the, I like to call it the well level of the Holy Spirit. And so a lot of people operate at that well level. They have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, we just read it, the Spirit convicts of truth. So without the Spirit convicting you of the truth of the gospel, you can't even get saved. So the Spirit has to work. There has to be, the Bible says in Titus, the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So there's the renewing and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. That's talking about salvation. That's the well level. But understand this. A well can dry up. If there's no rain for a time, a well will dry up. It's called a drought. And it doesn't take much time of drought for a well to dry up. 
So a lot of people live at that and they're content with living at the well, well level and that's fine for you. If that's how you want to do it, then you're the one that's going to get hurt and harmed and you're the one that's going to have to struggle through life because that's not where God stopped. That's not where God's perfect will is. That's not where God, I mean, I'm not, there's a lot of people who died and went to heaven at the well level of salvation and that's fine for them. But that's not where God wants to stop with you on the earth today. There's another level. Let me read it. John chapter 7. You're right, Colton. I believe in that too. However, there are genuine pockets, and I, I've known of them. There's genuine pockets of, of revival in the Catholic Church, and, and they don't believe in you know, every, all the weird idolization. They, that's why they're just nominal Catholics. They actually don't even know they're not really Catholic anymore. That's the, the, the distinction. John chapter 7 and verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart or his belly will flow rivers of living water. This Jesus spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in Him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And the glorified He's talking about is His death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and entering into the glory of the Father. So Jesus is not talking about a well anymore. He's talking about a river that would burst out from the belly of those who believe. So he's saying those who believe are at the well level, but if you press on and are thirsty for more. That's why it says, let him that is thirsty come to me and drink. Isaiah 44.3 I will pour water on him that is thirsty and I'll pour floods on dry ground. Paul, uh, David said it this way, my soul thirsts for thee and my heart hungers for the true and living God. Psalm 42, as a deer pants after the water creek, so my soul panteth after thee. Psalms uh, 68, the Bible says, my soul longs for thee and my flesh thirsteth after thee, thee to see thy power at work in the sanctuary as it is to this day. So there has to be a thirsting, a hungering. Bless, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for more. They will be satisfied. I'm going to show you something in Acts chapter 8. This is going to solidify that there is more. There is more. There is a subsequent experience for the believer. Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. And those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did perform. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. 
to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded Simon because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. You see, that's what ticks me off. When churches don't preach about this baptism and they don't preach about the power of God and they, 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 they go away from casting out demons, they shy away from demonology, they shy away from talking about healing in their church and miracles and pleading for the people to contend with God and believe for more and to reach and lay hold of the power that God has purchased for us through Christ by his shed blood at the cross when people shy away from that the people are going to look elsewhere because people need breakthrough there's a lost and dying world out there there are people that are, are, are one step away from putting a gun to their head and pulling the trigger there are people who are a step away the treatments aren't working and their bodies are dying and withering out and their tumors are growing and their cancer's not seeming to leave and the spirit of infirmity is killing them. And because people, well, what if they don't get healed? They shy away from it. As a result, people are dying before their time and they're not hearing this gospel. They've heard a gospel. They've heard a portion of the gospel that if you'll just believe, and, and settle your account with God, you'll make it to heaven. The Holy Ghost wasn't given for you to just make it to heaven. The Holy Ghost was given. Jesus said, you will receive power to become little Christs on the earth. That's what the word Christian means. That's why Paul, when Ananias came in and laid hands on him, and Paul received the Holy Ghost. Paul didn't receive the Holy Ghost just so he could make it to heaven. God used Paul to shake regions so that when he went to the island called Malta in Acts chapter 28, he didn't just have to go with a message of, hey, you indigenous people, just know that there's another God. His name is Jesus, and if you put your faith in him, you'll get to heaven. No, he went, and the Bible says when he found the leader of the island, he saw that his father-in-law was laying sick with dysentery and a fever and he entered into his home and he laid hands on him and healed him and when the people of that land saw that the man had been healed they brought all their sick to where Paul was at and he healed them all he entered into that disease stricken island and by the time he left he fulfilled the words of Christ as you go preach saying the kingdom of God is at hand and heal their sick we're not called just to preach saying the kingdom is at hand and not demonstrate the kingdom of God at hand Jesus said I'm not even gonna I'm not only gonna make it so it's an oral presentation that you're giving we're not called to just tell the people Jesus is a lie we have a show and tell presentation to show and tell them that our God is alive and he lives forevermore and not only that he lives in me and he can live in you if you'll believe on him ye shall receive rivers of living water that's why I love that old song that says I've got a river of life flowing out of me it makes the lame to walk and the blind to see it opens up prison doors sets the captives free i've got a river of life flowing out of me spirit of the lord god is upon me for he has anointed me to preach deliverance to the captives to set free them that are oppressed to proclaim
proclaim release to those that are in captivity, to give recovery of sight to the blind, to bind up the brokenhearted, to declare unto them the favorable year of the Lord, and to preach the gospel to the poor. It's about time we get people who don't just preach the gospel to the poor and leave it at that. But like Paul, I'm not ashamed, not only of the gospel, I'm not ashamed of the power of the gospel, for it is the power of God at work on the earth. Hallelujah. I don't want little Holy Spirit. I don't want well level. I want big Holy, Sco Holy Ghost. I want the river level. I want the ladder rain level. I want the anointing to flow through me that lifts up the heavy burdens everywhere I go so that when someone comes to me with problems, I don't have to just keep them in prayer. I can say you came to the right place, my brother. You came to the right place, my sister. Come here. Let me lay my hands on you and this same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in me. I'm going to minister that resurrection power to you that the depression that you've suffered long enough with will break off once and for all today. That Holy Ghost is coming on you today where you're watching. Be filled afresh and anew. I heard, I hear the Lord saying, I heard the cry of your heart. I heard you cry out and say, I want to be used. I heard you cry out and say, I'm tired of having people come to me and me having to refer them elsewhere. I hear the Lord saying that to some of you here watching online. And the Lord is saying, be filled with the Holy Ghost today. No longer will you have to refer them to your pastor. No longer will you have to refer them elsewhere. Today, I'm giving you power to cast out unclean spirits and to heal every kind of sickness and disease. And God's going to use you like he used a 48-year-old plumber called Smith Wigglesworth that everywhere he went, sinners were converted. Bodies were healed. People were set free. Not by might, not by strength, but by the Spirit of the Lord God. Hallelujah. Be filled. I feel the Holy Ghost. Be filled right now, wherever you're at. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Man. This is why we can't. I love doing online, but I want to lay hands on people. Why? Because look at this. And they heeded him. Because he astonished them with his sorceries a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself was also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Tell you, the powers of the devil are not to be compared with the power of God. Even the great sorcerer Simon, when he saw the amazing things, I mean, you're getting a, a witch to be amazed. It's like that guy, John Ramirez, when he talks about his testimony, how he was a, a, like a high level witch, had personal conversations, what with a demon, with Satan himself and called Satan his father and had power at work in his life. D demonic powers when he got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost he said the powers of God the powers of the devil are no match for the power of God at work there's a man of God named Bishop Oyedepo in Nigeria and he talks about a witch a sorcerer that got saved in his church and he used to oftentimes they would they would um they would cause accidents on freeways and highways in Nigeria. They would purposely cause accidents in whatever way they could. And when the people came out of their cars, they would like, if they weren't dead, they'd strike them dead and they would drink off their blood. Just wicked people. And so after he got saved, uh, Bishop Oyedepo asked him, what happens when a Christian or someone like me came onto the highway? Were you able to do that? He said, when someone like you came onto the highway, we had to clear off and stay far from it. Why? Because greater is he that lives in us than he that is in the world. 
Hallelujah. I didn't know he came to Montreal. That's awesome. Now, when the apostles, so these people were saved. The Bible says he believed and was baptized. The Bible says the, the word of God came to the people of Samaria. And it says in the word, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And how shall they believe unless they heard? They, they're saved. They've believed on the gospel. But look at this. When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them because they realized it's not sufficient. Now people are going to roll their eyes. What do you mean salvation is not sufficient? Salvation is sufficient to get you to heaven. But salvation is not just, just getting saved at the well level. You might be able to impact a few people here and there, but if you want to do, maximize your potential on the earth, your divine potential, which the Bible says, those whom he did call, he justified, and whom he justified, he glorified. That we're to go from glory to glory. If you want to maximize your impact on the earth, so you don't just, you know, it's a very different um, reaction in the water. If I throw a little tiny pebble onto the water, it'll give a little ripple effect. If I take, if a comet hits a body of water, even the Pacific Ocean would feel the ripple effects and then I, I'm sure tsunamis would come as a result of it. So there's little tremors in the body of Christ, little tremors here and there. And then there's people who are 8.0 on the Richter scale earthquakes that shake regions where they go. When they heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they had come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, he had not fallen on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So even the scripture says they only were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Scripture even is attesting that there's more to it. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So these people were saved. These people were baptized in the name of Jesus. These people even got their healing. These people had testimonies. If they had a testimony service, they could have had thousands come up and taken four, five, six hours of testimony of testimony after testimony of how God has been good to them. But the Bible says when they heard they received the word, they immediately released Peter and John so that they might be prayed for and to receive the Holy Spirit. So it shows you that there's a well level and then there's a river level. And then I'm going to go to a third level and then we're going to pray. The third level. I mean, let me read it to you. Because this blessed me this morning. Ezekiel chapter 47. Thanks for joining me today. If you're just uh, tuning in now, please share this broadcast. And uh, be a great blessing to me. Ezekiel 47. And let's start with verse 3. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the water. The waters came up to my ankles. So that's a measure of the anointing. You know the Bible says in John chapter 3 that Jesus received the Spirit without measure. So there's measures of the anointing, and then there's the Spirit without measure, which is an unlimited supply. Jesus had that level of unlimited supply of the anointing. That's why he operated, he operated in all fivefold. Of the ministry he operated in all uh i would say seven gifts of the spirit because there's no record of him speaking in tongues or interpreting or interpreting someone else speaking in tongues because he didn't have to he could prophesy right directly jesus had the spirit without measure 
But there's measures. Here it says that water came up to my ankle. The water, every time the scripture brings up the water, it's either referring to the water of the word or, like we just read, the water of the wellspring of life, salvation, or the river of water, which means the, um, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, then again, he measured out 1,000 cubits and brought me through the waters. And the water came up to my knees. There's a lot of people at the knee level of the anointing. And I, I've spoken on this before. You can tell. If you've been saved for at least six months, a year, you can tell that not everyone, when they preach or speak or minister, ministers at the same level of power. There's some ministers that have an ankle level of the anointing. You know, they have. They, people, some people get saved once in a while, but mostly their altars are dry. Uh, there's a few people that get baptized in the Spirit once in a while, but it's, it's seldom and few and far in between. And as others who are in the knees, they have that a little more uh, recurrently in their ministries. Again, he measured out 1,000 and brought me up through the waters, and the waters came up to my waist. And again, he measured out 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross. For the water was too deep, a water in, one, in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed over. A river that could not be crossed over. So there's a river from within, and then there's the outer. The, I call it the latter rain, the anointing without measure. A river that kept swimming in God's power, where you're inundated. Because I know a lot of people that got baptized in the Holy Ghost 1979 in Kenneth Hagin's meeting. I remember I spoke in tongues for about two hours. Well, what happened since then? Oh, I just remember. The only testimony they have is when they got baptized. They received the Holy Spirit. But that shouldn't be the best. I mean, that's a good testimony, but it shouldn't be the end of all testimonies. That should be. That's why the Bible says, Acts chapter 2, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. That's the beginning. It's the beginning. It's like the, the uh, you just got accepted into the school of the Holy Ghost. It's your acceptance letter. You're now certified. You're able to do something now. Paul, uh, David didn't say, Thou hast anoint my, anointed my head with oil. My cup is just filled to the brim. Praise the Lord. I've got all I need. It, the Holy Ghost, the anointing isn't given so that you can have all you need. The anointing is given. So like David, my cup runneth over and I'm now no longer in need and I'm now able to meet the needs of a lost and dying humanity. Heaven is too real. Hell is too hot. Time is too short and eternity is too long for us to sit around and do nothing about what's going on in the earth today. That's why this latter rain is imperative. Joel chapter 2 talks about the latter rain that I'm going to pour out in the last days. The, the, uh, the portion of the former rain and the portion of the latter rain at the same time. Acts chapter 2 was the former rain. We're, now we're in the time of the latter rain. And Zechariah 10 verse 1. Let me read it. Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1. One of my favorite uh, verses in the whole Bible. Ask ye of the Lord for rain. So God's not withholding. Jesus said it. Which of you, parents, having a child, if he comes to you and asks you for a stone, asks you for a piece of bread, will you give him a stone? If he asks you for an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion? If he asks you for a fish, will you throw a snake at him? 
No. How much more? If you being evil know how to give good things to your children, Jesus said in Luke's gospel, how much more shall the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. That's why Jesus said you're to tarry. After Acts chapter 2, we are no longer to tarry. We are no longer to tarry. That's why, you know, the old Pentecostals, they would call them tarrying meetings where they'd wait year, year, you know, and they'd hold it as a badge of honor. I waited 14 years, six months, 30, 30 days to get the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Oh, and it made it that much more sweet when I did. You know, bless God, you kept, you kept, you know, you kept on. You didn't give up. But at the same time, that's not God's perfect way. Jesus said you're to tarry until the Holy Ghost has come. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Ghost came. You're no longer to tarry. That's why when Peter and John went to Samaria, he didn't say, now let's get around and tarry some more. He laid hands on them and prayed that they might receive. That's why we, you ask and you shall receive. The Holy, you're not to tarry and beg and sweat and fling sweat all around the world and, and just you know shake your fists and get all red and sweaty and blue in the face to receive the Holy Ghost. The Bible says you just open up your hands and say, Father, I know that you sent the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2. I know that the Scripture does not teach the Holy Ghost ever departed from the earth. I believe your word. I believe that your Spirit was sent to be a helper. I now ask you, fill me with your Holy Spirit and I receive the Holy Spirit now in faith and I expect now to speak in tongues just as they did at the beginning. And that is how you receive the Holy Ghost. Ask ye Lord for the Lord reign in the time of the latter rain. And the Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. So you notice, God's not withholding good from those to whom it is due. The prerequisite to be filled with the Holy Ghost is not uh, climbing up the ladder of holiness. You know, I, I got saved, but I still got a lot of work before I received the Holy Ghost. That's not the prerequisite. That's not, that's not, that's not, uh, if you wait for yourself to be some perfect person, why would you even need the Holy Ghost in the first place? The Holy Spirit is the one that's going to come on you to help you and empower you to live perfectly for God, to live in a manner worthy and pleasing of the Lord. So if you're waiting to please God before you get the Holy Ghost, the whole point of the Holy Ghost coming is for you to live in a way to please God. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, or it might be Acts chapter 3. Here it is. Acts chapter 2. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the brethren, Men, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, repent. So you do turn from an unholy lifestyle. you got to repent. you got to live a penitent life. you got to uh, truly believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to the point where it, you bear fruit in, in uh, keeping with salvation, in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit worthy of salvation. Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the Holy Ghost. Notice how it doesn't say repent 
and you must live at least three years to prove yourself to God in that state of repentance, and then you'll receive. No, the, the whole point of the Holy Ghost coming is so that when you repent, you actually keep fruit worthy of repentance so that you don't fall back into the miry clay from which you were plucked out of. And with many other words, he testified. Oh, sorry, verse 39. Then for the promises to you, to your children, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So who's qualified to receive the Holy Ghost? Jesus said, will your heavenly Father also not give the Holy Ghost? How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost to those who believe, to those who ask? The, number, the only thing you need to do, practically, on your end, your responsibility, is to receive Christ. To get saved. After that, in faith, the same faith exercised in receiving Jesus and receiving salvation. How did you exercise your faith for that? Those who believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, they shall be saved. That's how you exercise your faith. To be saved. You have to believe in the heart and then you confess. Your confession changes. Your actions change. You, you, you repent. You live a holy lifestyle. In the same vein. You exercise the same measure of faith, the same level of faith, the same practical method of faith for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Kenneth Hagin said, when I found out that the same way you receive salvation is the same way you receive healing, the same way you receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost, I never preached healing the same way I used to. Where he, you know, he used to preach and ask and get people stirred up to ask God to heal them. But he found out that you don't have to ask God to save you. God already saved, sent everything on his end necessary to save you when he sent his son Jesus, who was nailed at that cross. That was it. Jesus said, it is finished. That was it. You don't have to ask God to save you. God saved you when, he, when Jesus shed his blood and it was emptied of blood and water on that cross so that you might receive remission of sins and the forgiveness of your sins by his grace and redemption by his blood. At the cross, your debt was nailed to the tree. So what do I do when I give an altar call to be saved? I don't get people, Lord, save me now. No, it's Lord, I receive your salvation. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. That's why Paul said, thanks be unto God for this indescribable gift. It's a gift. If someone wrapped you up an iPad for Christmas, would you go then ask them, hey, would you please give me that iPad? It's yours to take it. Take it. It's under the tree. It's for you. No, I'd, I'd really, I, I'm, I'm just believing for that iPad. I'm really, you know, I hope that you give me that iPad. When all the gifts are unwrapped, that, that iPad comes to me. It's yours. It has your name on it. Just take it. Unwrap it. It's yours. Take advantage of it. Use it. It's for you. No, I, I, I just would really hope if you would just, if you could just give me that iPad. You're a lunatic at this point. It's been given. The Holy Ghost is the, this gift is to you and to your children and your children's children, as many as are far off and will call upon the name of the Lord. So when you receive Christ, you automatically stand in a place qualified to now receive the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to beg and plead and sweat. Just open up your hands, even now. Well, before I do that, if you're watching, you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You're not saved. All this, I don't even know why you stick on so long if you won't get saved now. Get saved. Take this opportunity to settle your account with God. God already settled His account with you, but you got to receive it like I just said.
The Bible says uh, that God demonstrated his love towards you while you were still at your worst point. When, if you think you're an old nasty sinner, yeah, you might be now, but at your worst point, God made a way. God made a way of escape that through his death, Christ put to death the enmity, the, the, uh, the hostility that we had, the gap that we had between us and God. Jesus fulfilled that gap so that now he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And you don't have to live a life outside of God, away from God, separated from God's will and purposes and plans for you and power for you and, and, and benefits and inheritance and blessings that He has for you. You can make a decision like Joshua did when he drew a line in the sand and he said, those who are on the Lord's side, stand here for as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. And you know what happens when you make that decision? You set a new pace and a new path and a new trajectory for your family because you'll instead Instead of your children growing up with some wayward, uh, godless, alcoholic or whatever, you can set an example in godliness so that they don't have to go through the same hardships. They don't have to go through the same tri tribulations and trials and troubles. You can be the first in your family to say, as for me, I'm going to serve God and my family is going to follow suit. And no matter what reputation my family had before this moment, maybe we were called drunks. Maybe we were called a household full of depressed individuals. Maybe we were called a house full of, of lunatics and, 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 um, People prone to anger, temper, temp, very high-tempered people. But from this moment, you can have that change. Join a new family, the family of God, where instead of outbursts of wrath, you now have a peace of God which flows from within. Instead of hatred that flows through your family, you can get filled with the spirit of love, that the love of God begins to compel you, that the people you used to hate and the bitterness you felt for them, you start to have a love that surpasses all understanding, fill your heart, that even though those people have wronged, you you now have a love for them and a compassion for them that can be your story but you have to get saved the bible says jesus is the prince of peace and until you join hands with that prince of peace the nail scarred hand of jesus then anxiety distress calamities anguish tribulation trouble hardships will continue to flow but when you join hands with the prince of peace he said do not let your heart be troubled Neither let it be afraid, for I am the Lord. Believe in God, believe also in me. He'll wipe away all your hardships. He said, come to me all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm gentle, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if that sounds like you, pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I believe in my heart that you raised Christ from the dead. I believe he ascended and is seated at the right hand of your throne. And I receive now the gift of salvation. I receive remission of sins. I believe in the gospel. Fill me with your power to repent and to live a life worthy of your name. I pray, let the regeneration of my heart happen right now. So the evil things I was lured to before, addictions, those things would leave my life and a new addiction would come on. An addiction for your word, an addiction for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, 
I am saved. I am forgiven. Heaven is my home. God is my Father. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, please go to salvationnow.ca. I just got saved. There's the first link that pops up. Click it. Fill it out. I would love to get some material to you free of charge just to help you out in this new journey that you've begun. For the rest of you still on, I want you wherever you're at just to lift your hands. If you can't lift your hands, you're watching this on the replay or you're watching it right now driving. Just uh, agree with me in faith. And I'm going to believe God for a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire to come on you. That whatever weariness you felt in your spirit, Jesus said, let him that is thirsty come and drink. That you'll drink from the rivers, the rivers of the Holy Ghost, that he'll reinvigorate you. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.18, be finally, brethren, be filled with the Holy Ghost and be being filled. Not just one-time event, be being filled. A continual flow, a continual uh, a flooding of that spirit through your life so that you'll never get dry. Do you know that you don't have to have a one-time encounter with God and then just live off that one-time encounter the rest of your life? You can have encounters constantly. Do you understand that you can live? You don't have to just, you know, live in the anointing. Uh, you don't just have to have a one-time encounter with the anointing. You can live in the anointing. You can live in the power of God practically. That that river can continually flow through you. Jesus did that. He was walking around a town and a woman with an issue of blood touched the hem of his garment and power flowed from him. He was like a live electrical circuit. Energy and electric power. The power of the Holy Ghost was constantly flowing through him. Bible says he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and, and power began to emanate and radiate from him. That is not a picture of what we'll never be like. And Jesus just wanted to show how separate he is from the rest of us. No, he's, he came to lead an example that he said, the same works you saw me do. If you'll believe and apply the things I tell you today, ye will do and greater manifestations of the extraordinary and marvelous power of God will be at work in you as you do. So with everyone in expectation, don't just think, oh, I hope I get, no, expect that today, right now, you're going to get a fresh infilling of the Holy Ghost that like David, you'll say, my head has been anointed with fresh oil and my strength shall be exalted and increased like that of a wild ox. You remember the Bible says, though young men stumble badly, they that wait upon the Lord shall receive new strength. The Holy Spirit, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In the name of Jesus, I tie my faith in with everyone here watching today. And I pray right now, let a fresh flooding of your power in your spirit come on them. Wherever they might find themselves. In Jesus' name. Receive the Holy Spirit now. From the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. To overflow a cup that runneth over in Jesus' mighty name. And I pray as the Spirit of God comes on you, that whatever pickle you find yourself in, one of the operations of the Spirit of God is the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. I, I, I believe there's people watching me now, you're, you're not sure what to do next. The Holy Spirit, as you get filled today, it's going to give you a blueprint.
And as clear as day, you'll know exactly what to do. You'll know exactly what to do. You won't be lost. You won't be, you won't be backed up into a corner anymore. You'll know exactly what to do. You'll hear a voice behind thee saying, This is the way. Walk ye therein. In the name of Jesus Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to say this in faith. I want you to, to say this in faith. Say, Father, I thank you that your word says that you would that much more desire us to receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. So today, I know that your desire to see me filled outweighs even my desire to be filled. With that being said, I lift up hands in a sign of reception and I receive now your spirit's fullness without measure. Waters that cannot be passed over. And I expect, as was on the day of Pentecost and several times throughout the book of Acts, to now begin to speak in tongues. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in faith, keep with that confession. Well, I don't know. I didn't speak in tongues at one time. Keep with that confession. I am filled with the Holy Ghost, and I'll begin to speak in other tongues in the name of Jesus. Thursday, I'll be preaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the operation of those gifts. In, uh, and I'm going to share testimonies of how those gifts have operated through me and how I've seen them operate in others. So I would encourage you to, to tune in. It's going to be a powerful broadcast. For the rest of you watching online, if you'd like to give today to this ministry, you can do so by going to salvationnow.ca slash give. Link's on the screen. For, uh, I would love for you to... Um, partner with us on a monthly basis if the lord leads you that way you can do a one-time gift whatever the lord leads you to do that do and uh i want to thank you in advance i appreciate everyone who's partnered with us and everyone who's given uh so many faithful givers and partners with this ministry and and my heart goes out to you i really you know why because it it, it you're my type of people because you've tied yourself financially in the work of god I tie myself financially in the work of God, so I know we're like-minded, and, and that's why I know we're connected and unified. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.